Welcome to Our Common Nature, an exaltation of our living earth, an exploration of our niche within it, and an examination of the lasting solutions we will create by shifting our culture through care, wisdom, and working in community with the earth toward accordance with its way. In this space, we highlight place, building bridges, and finding solutions in the common ground on which we all stand. It is with gratitude and humility that we acknowledge that we are speaking, learning, and broadcasting from the ancestral homelands of the Mohican people, who are the indigenous peoples of this land. Despite tremendous hardship on being forced from here, today their community resides in Wisconsin and is known as the Stockbridge-Munsee community. We pay honor and respect to their ancestors past and present as we commit to building a more inclusive and equitable space for all. In this episode, we begin our show with a conversation between myself, Seamus Donahoe, my occasional co-host, John Mulligan, and the man in the booth, Scott Kellerhouse, on what is nature. Yeah, 100% natural. Right there. (laughs) I was actually thinking about this in relation to the topic. Because, uh, you know, this broad, like, what is natural? It's like you have the natural world, you have natural phenomena, and you have natural products. So uh, presumably a uh, product which is natural does not have some type of synthetic thing in it. And, uh, you know, if we consider what we mean by natural, it's like, is a vegetable from your garden more natural than a packet of Doritos, say? So now does that apply to a vegetable in the store? Is it as natural as the vegetable which you grew? And yet, you know, you'll see products which say 100% natural, for example. Yeah. Which is a kind of, it's a nebulous, loose, non-defined term in, 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 the, in the market, quote-unquote, and the ecology, not so much the ecology, but the, the modern market in which we live in, yeah. And the further question is, like, if, it's, if a material is, quote-unquote, natural, uh, and natural is from the earth, you know, technically, unless it's being made from asteroids or parts of the moon, all matter on earth, no matter what form it's in, is, quote-unquote, natural. Right, even even the, the synthetic thing yeah. is technically natural. It's just more yeah. refined, right? Yeah, that's the thing. Like, if there's some sort of almost participatory expectation with the use of that term, because the suggestion just by using it is that there's some point of departure where something becomes unnatural. Sure, in, in the market colloquialisms of the of use of that term, you know, it's becoming more and more obvious that a lot of that is the use of that word, in other words, like organic. The word for it now in the anti-mindset is called greenwashing, where it's it's really evoking um, a false advertisement. Um, it's to kind of lure you into paying a little bit more because, you know, it's done a little bit, quote-unquote, more naturally. Yeah, you get into a, a kind of a good point there about by whose volition or by how many minds uh, went into the design of the presentation of the said natural thing. That to me is the ultimate determinant. And for me myself, I always kind of, I don't know, maybe this is a little bit of a more bigger philosophical question, but to me, for, to define what is natural, I always have to counter it with a polemic or some sort of obverse of 
you know, well, what will be unnatural or what is the opposite of natural potentially? And I don't know, it's, uh, I can get into the, the spiritual philosophy that I have around that, but that's my own perspective. Well, when Scott, you point out there's a point of departure, it's like, what about uh, food coloring or, you know, preservatives or additives of some type, which are decidedly unnatural. So, but the problem becomes, like you're saying, when it becomes a marketing ploy, for example, you could say, okay, this has 100% juice, but um, what if that juice was grown in an orchard which sprayed loads of pesticides? The apples are, you know, natural, but how natural was the growing of those things? And then we could even go to another layer. What if the workers who were harvesting those apples were mistreated grossly, downright mistreated? That juice is natural, but is it a reflection of the whole process? Yeah. I mean, what's, and that's what's the determining factor. Is it natural because it came from a tree or right. is it natural because it came from a wild tree? Is it unnatural because they came with the same compounds and took all that and put through it together in a lab and made it in a Petri dish? Is that no, like, what is this? The uh, 3D printed meat, for instance, or whatever they're coming up with the lab made Petri dish meat. It, that's, it, it wasn't grown by an animal. So is that really quote unquote natural, even though it's the same compounds? John, I wanted to go into something that you mentioned about the treatment of the workers in this hypothetical situation, because that suggests that there's a, at least some equivocation between what is natural and what is ethical or good. Like, for example, yeah, because, uh, for example, if, if we consider, say, fire, right? Fire is natural. What's more natural, uh, a person who is lighting a wood stove to stay warm in winter or a wildfire? So what if that wildfire is burning down someone's house, right? So we don't necessarily equate natural with good or bad. Um, and yet in the context that we're trying to develop it, we're thinking of it more in terms of natural relationships. So you have a relationship to the product you buy in the sense that you're putting an investment into it. So therefore the relationship that the worker had to the person who hired them is connected to you in some real sense of the word. So I think when we use the term natural, or at least what we're trying to flesh out here is, is a type of goodness or a type of rather than uh, just ethical, I would, I would say, um, Almost like, you know, in the East, we have the Tao. It's like the way, for example. There's a harmonious path to operating that I think invokes a type of sense of what is natural. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that gets to kind of what I was saying before about uh, kind of defining the terms in, in, in a sort of a more theoretical or spiritual sense. To me, in that, in that notion, thinking about the Tao Wu Wei, I kind of take natural in a more spiritual sense to mean, you know, there is the moment, you know, that is what is actual. And unto that moment or anything in that moment, there is what is given and then what comes of it. And by that token, for me, what is given, what I see is what is given is what is natural. And then I just throw what is characteristic is the other end. And so when you apply that to a given thing in, in existence, 
you know, what is natural to a thing is what just starts with, is just given to it. And as one approaches humanity's presence on Earth, what is natural to humanity is what the Earth just gives it at its outset. And by that, from there, you can see volition plays a role because what then whatever comes after that moment in that character, in that thing's existence, it is then characterizing. So th- we can apply that to humanity's application in its production of certain market goods, wherein the Earth, prior to civilization, let's say, or even throughout his civilization's existence, when it comes up against wild or more um, indigenously designed landscapes, there is a given quality to, to the you know the food, the abundance, the shelter that they're uh, interacting with, uh, or the resource that they could turn into uh, their food and shelter and and other you know product. And the more you tamper with what is given, the more characterization you apply to that thing. And so you get further and further and further away from what it is just given to you, what is just natural to you in that. And this uh, has some poetic shades of using the word natural in, in other contexts or taken from other contexts, meaning what is the nature of the situation, for instance, is kind of where I got that, the notion of that term. And thinking more widely about uh, the connotations of the word or including more connotations of the word natural kind of and blending them together in my mind has allowed me to kind of have a more um, analytical perspective on, you know, its usage in the market context, for instance, or in our colloquial, oh, this is a natural, quote unquote, good thing. And you're right, John, natural doesn't mean good because good is always subjective. But if we take natural to mean harmonious, you know, then there may be scenarios where a product could say it's natural because what they're trying to say is we worked in the most harmonious way we could to bring this product to you. Unfortunately, it seems that the term natural is just used all over the place to the point that it becomes meaningless. It's an over-propagandized term now. And so we have the same scenario with organic. Uh, Whatever that term originally meant, we see that you know, so-called conventional is not conventional. Yeah. And so-called organic just means that you you essentially paid for a marketing label, more mm-hmm. or less. Mm-hmm. There may be some restrictions on what people can do. Organic does not necessarily mean that you tried to work in a harmonious way with, say, the soil or with the farmer or with the distribution mechanism. Um, so the label organic doesn't really give us a sense at all that the product is natural in that harmonious way that we're we're trying to uh, flush out. What is that? What is that that natural process? Yeah, and a lot of times in the usage of that uh, market, you know, uh, propagandization of that term, it's it's kind of hearkening back in this weird weird conservative way to a good old days. You know, where the garden is where you got your goods, but no, no one gardens anymore. So here you are as close as grandma used to make it, you know, as close as grandpa used to grow it natural, like the way they used to do, which is like this weird perversion of the whole idea of our relationship with the earth and our relationship with gardening and the way, relationship with our food. Cause it's, it's as if that we can't go back to that again. And this is the closest that we could get is by buying a natural quote unquote product or an organic product. And now the machine is in the industry mindset is doing the same thing with words like um, sustainable and regenerative. And, and that's a good point. Like, because what you're saying is the idea is you need to buy this product in order to have a natural experience. Mm. And one of the things that we wanted to uh, bring out about a natural experience is that 
anyone can have a natural experience at any time. Mm -hmm. And, um, you, you know, if you say, look at a sunset, if you're looking at a sunset on a screen, you may have some kind of natural experience, but if, uh, go take a shit, you're having a natural experience. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you know, uh, I was gonna you're go, an animal. <laughs> I was going to go more with the uh, yeah. juxtaposition of now imagine you're uh, hiking up a hill and you're, you know, you're sweating to get to the top so that you can catch the sunset. And then at the top of the hill, uh, you have this, this broad overlook where in a moment of silence, you fully take in the experience of being alive, being in that present moment. It's a very natural experience. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's the natural world requires us to get out and get out of our, you know, our routine, get out of our normal experience where we're just going through the motions right. and looking forward to, you know, the show that's on Netflix or the pizza or, or you know, the drink with your friends. It's like a natural world uh, wants us to break out of that in order to have this this type of experience. So what do you mean by natural world? Do you mean by like non-human existence? No. Uh, I think natural includes earthly experiences and uh, very practically so. I don't think it needs to invoke an other world. I think So what's that, so not natural about human experience? <clears throat> what's not natural? Yeah. I would say, um, you know, on a spectrum of, is it natural to live in an apartment building and order all your food to it? And your only communication with people is through messaging apps and mm. emails. So it's, it's about, is, a it, is it like a, existence. How, how connected I'm just you are. trying to draw an example of mm. what, we, you know, what I think of as an unnatural life. Now, I'm not saying you can't live in a city and have a very natural experience. Uh, in the different cities I lived in, I would do loads of bike riding and get out into nature, into parks. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't necessarily think it's, it's where you live. You can have an, a natural experience anywhere. Yeah. What you're saying might be illuminating a working concept of the dichotomy of natural and unnatural for me that I hadn't considered, which is in that presentation, the unnatural experience, let's say, one where you seem to be having every interaction in your environment, it's mediated by technology or some sort of infrastructure that is scaled. So you're mentioning ordering food to your apartment, never leaving it, all of your communications being mediated by a technological medium. Right. It's like there's a ever-present degree of removal from your settings, regardless of whether those settings are being perceived conventionally as natural or unnatural. Mm -hmm. So there's a, like the metric of the spectrum of natural may have to do with how close to the source resource you are getting to that experience. Yeah, but there's also an internal mechanism, which is important too. It's like, where is your mindfulness and not to use a overly, uh, it's another term like natural. It's like the new, you know, mindful, mm -hmm. <laughs> the mindful product. But there's a, there's a aspect of yourself which can 
tune in to the experience in such a way that you're more present to what's happening. That seems more natural. So you can just as easily see a sunset and be completely oblivious to it because you're going through the motions to get to some other thing. At the same time, you might stop and let go of the things which happened in the past, forget about the things which you're getting ready for in the future, and you have a very natural experience just with what is. And, so it's, and it's connected to the, the real world. Yeah. So it could be connected to people. Like You could have a very natural experience with people inside a room. You don't have to be outdoors to have a natural experience necessarily. And I even would say that you can have a natural experience through technology. It's not that you, uh, you can't have a natural experience when you're listening to something on your Bluetooth headset. You're using technology, but there's a certain aspect of it which is dialed in to the natural world. Mm. So is there some sort of correlation to a thing being natural in there to being a recognition of relationship to it? Like, so, Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, if you get into some of the current philosophical talk around things of you know products being more ecological or environmental or being more natural or not, a lot of the question is around the idea of mechanization and the differences in approach and effect between uh, application of linear thinking and uh, more relational circular thinking in design. Um, most oftentimes the quote-unquote unnatural effects that exist you know, throughout the history of civilization seem to stem from more uh, linear mechanized industrial approaches, which, you know, getting back to the relationship thing, deny the uh, actuality of real relationships involved in the process. Like, for instance, the flow of our waterways and our sewageways. You know, if we had a, a greater understanding to the, our relationship with the water cycle, we realize that that flowing water is resource and shouldn't just be washed off to the sea when it hits the city streets as quickly as possible. You should maybe utilize that resource in a more quote unquote natural way. Natural in this context, meaning uh, in full realization of the cycle of water and our relationship to water and need for it. Yeah, absolutely. I think that you're spot on. There's a, there's a type of uh, cyclical reality that linear thinking tends to miss. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is, for example, I can pour this chemical out into this river because it's going to be washed away somewhere, right? Where is it getting washed away to? It's getting yeah. washed away downstream. There is no water, way. Yeah. right? Is getting evaporated and brought back into the cycle. And you could say, oh, well, the evaporation process is, you know, cleaning it, but the chemicals going somewhere. So it's, it, it can potentially then contaminate your food, uh, contaminate your drinking water. When we were uh, discussing having the topic of natural, I, I was contemplating uh, Henry David Thoreau. He was billed as uh, the man of nature uh, over 100 years ago. And uh, one of the aspects of uh, Henry David Thoreau was that he was interested in cyclical thinking in terms of how he applied uh, that philosophically, because obviously... Uh, he came from a time when people were not as open-minded religiously as they are now. 
And he applied a lot of books from the East, including the Bhagavad Gita and these ideas of cyclical ages and cyclical world ages. And I think that that also plays into the natural, like what is a natural relationship to spirit? And is it unnatural that we get completely cut off from the traditions of our ancestors at where we left and yeah how do we how do we deal with having uh, a new slate so to speak mm-hmm. yeah this is why i like defining it for myself in relation to a polemic of character because then i can just sit in the moment because this is what all there actually is sit in what is given to the present and what just is is what is natural in to my mindset in that way so if you're starting from a blank slate you know, with no history, well, that's not necessarily ever true because there's always some, you know, permaculture tell you there's always some some condition, some site, circumstance, something that's given to what you're looking at and what you're working with, and from there you can you can go from there. And if you stay in relationship with what you're given, like you stay mindful of, you know, all of the that that could happen, and all, and you stay accountable to the consequences of the changes that you make, then I think you can maintain. A natural relationship. Once you kind of move away from that in an application of a specific will in denial of a consequence, then you move into spaces that are quote characteristic or more unnatural. And that's where I think civilization as a specific thing in humanity is gets to be unnatural. Because in the rise of civilization and the rise of cities and urbanization of things and, and later on industrialization of, of, of processes and things, there is inherently a denial of the way things actually are, and then also uh, an exploitative or externalization of that denial over time. I was going to say externalization seems to be the primary characteristic of, you mentioned the chemical release into the river and immediately removing yourself from concern for those consequences is the externalization process and how that relates hierarchical relationships of power and access to resources is one of the more consequential presentations of the relationship between the natural and unnatural, I think. Mm-hmm. So in that case, is there a way that we could bring civilization to a more natural way wherein it stopped uh, thinking of waste as an existent thing and started turning all byproduct or waste product into a new resource and cyclify our, our systems is that not a way to get cap- to? Because <laughs> there's no reciprocity in capitalism. Right. Yeah. Oh, which reciprocity? Reciprocity. There's no reciprocity in capitalism. <laughs> Meaning no return of the extraction back into the like a cyclical. There's waste. And in a, in a quote unquote natural situation, it's a closed system. Yeah, I think the advocate of greenwashing will tell you that there's some sort of way to incentivize the reduction of waste, right? But ultimately, I think the characteristic. Because that incentive is um, perverted, inevitably. And then the same sort of relationship as organic to versus certified mm-hmm. organic. Making a brand out of it. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's interesting because um, I don't actually think we have capitalism anymore. I think we have <laughs> debtism. But um, that's a topic for another, another time. Mm. Um, there's, uh, there's another interesting thing that I think... I'd like to get into because you mentioned about hierarchy and uh, I actually think that hierarchy, there is a, a natural aspect of that uh, in the world. Mm-hmm. And we see that, for example, 
in the animal world, but also um, even in the human world, uh, the way that hierarchy is corrupted is by applying a, you're a doctor, therefore you're better than you, you're the janitor, therefore you're worse. Uh, nevertheless, there's a type of hierarchy in terms of the knowledge that a doctor needs to have yeah. is much greater than that which the janitor needs to have. And yet it comes back to natural because there has to be a harmonious relationship between those two. Yeah, nothing exists in the Where they realize that they're actually dependent on each other. Because what happens if the janitors all disappear or some other technician disappears who maybe in the hierarchy of knowledge is not as high up. So in other words, what I'm trying to say is in a natural system, relationships are paramount. Healthy relationships are mm -hmm. uh, critical. Mm -hmm. Linear, linear systems can exist in natural order, quote unquote, in applied ways. Like lots of, you know, animal creatures, in societies, their animal societies, cultures, mm -hmm. have hierarchies that make sense to their given context. Yet right. those hierarchies don't exist in a vacuum, no. which is what you're saying, I think, yeah. is that those those systems, those linear systems, are tied back into a circular out, outer hole that uh, renders checks and balances upon their, their inputs and outputs. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that distinction that you were describing of a hierarchy of... A couple of professionals, right? In this example, you have the doctor and the, the custodian or the janitor. There is an idea that one is better than the other, and that being impressed upon the compensation of one person versus the other. Yeah. Well, this kind of make, leads me to think about uh, a distinction. Like, as John was saying before, natural doesn't necessarily mean good. Natural doesn't necessarily mean uh, without you know, end or death or something, but there is the line to be drawn in quote unquote a natural death or a natural end, natural destruction, like by a wildfire or by a, you know, um, an ordinary flood. And the kind of death and destruction that is espoused by a more quote unquote unnatural relationship, one that we've maybe already kind of added some definition to by saying one in denial of relationship. We see a, the kind of destruction that maybe a potentially unnatural system like civilization or um, capitalism applies to, uh, might cause. There's like a total war, like full devastation that happens in the kind of destruction that is applied in, in that kind of unnatural system versus the natural destruction and death that happens piecemeal or to an individual, not to an entire ecosystem all at once. Um, there's a balance inherent in a natural system maybe that is maybe due to that mindfulness of relationship and that dangerously maybe implies that there is a mind applied to events that happen without human existence like there are other minds than human mind at work in the idea of what is natural and that's another question do all natural things have purpose is can you be a natural thing without purpose no <laughs> <laughs> There's an interesting discussion on the teleological relationship of biology in general. Like all biological beings have to, in some sense, have purpose. Serve a niche. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But also that we can't speak of any entity without 
itself having a purpose within yeah. the natural world. And it's interesting too, because this does tie into moving back out into more esoteric terminology. There is a, a notion when you get into the more mystic and the more obscure philosophies and religions, wherein there's a recognition of things as they are. And part of that is, you know, a just is acceptance of things, like a rendering to things. Like there is nothing without context. There's nothing without a, a something it serves or a purpose or some higher power to it. And you get into hermeticism. There's as above, so below. There's, you know, things get, there's always a, an idea of a polemic or like a masculine feminine involved in, in a natural thing. And a lot of times go throughout the Bible and in probably in areas of the Gitas as well, uh, or the Vedas, there's an imploring in those texts that say, do things this way or you will be screwed. You know, there's a reason that there's a Sabbath. There's a reason that there's a seven, uh, every seven years you take a sabbatical. And I think part of that is to allow for things outside of your design, things that are maybe non-human culture to have space and, and allowing for the wild to have space. Yeah, and it's for these reasons that I stay away from the word natural and choose the word wild when I'm speaking about that specifically. You can't equivocate, you know, when you're talking about is it human mind or not a non-human mind at work. To go back to that discussion of everything having a purpose mm. in the natural world, I have trouble with that idea because it seems like a tautology to ascribe purpose to everything because by virtue of existing and having any sort of relationship with the environment or around it, whatever it is, everything necessarily takes on a purpose insofar as they are indelibly affecting the environment and vice versa. The idea of having a purpose seems to be like something that can only come from a standpoint of characterizing that relationship, right? Coming from the standpoint of of an observer somehow. Otherwise, purpose just seems like a characterization of a tendency or a process. We have a purpose as human beings, perhaps to interact with our environment in some way. One of the most basic ones being simply the consuming water. The act of breathing. Right. A purpose. Somehow both a means to an end and ends in and of themselves. Because there's a close circle there of just the process of of an organism. So it's But every organism is also an open as an input and an output, so it's it itself is not a closed circuit. That's why I think purpose is a I struggle with that idea because I think purpose is It's an outside judge has to determine yeah, that. I yeah. So. I see what you're saying. Which doesn't mean it's not there, um, but it seems worth investigating. Yeah. yeah. And uh, maybe we need to look into this more, but it seems to me like purpose is a natural striving within the being to become something else. So it's and a natural it's thing to a, seek a character. And it's not a rote mechanical thing. Like, it's an actual internal striving. So volition has a lot to do with if a thing is natural or not. By whose volition? By what will goes into <laughs> its current presentation or uh, product? I don't know. <laughs> that's, that's a tough. That's a tough sell because it's like, is the, you know, is the ant using its volition to, you know, build its nest or its? Uh, oh, who's who's the self there? Is it just the ant or right. is it the whole hive? And then what's natural to that ant right. and what's natural to that whole hive? 
Right. And what might that ant or that hive want? And how do we know that without being that ant? And so, so that's why it's a funny thing to say this is natural, because do we think the carrot thinks so? Do we know that the carrot knows that it's natural? If it was a wild carrot, a Dacus carota, Queen Anne's lace, is that more natural than, you know, your Rolanka or whatever Nantes that you mm-hmm. got at the store? I mean, they're, they're genetically almost identical. What, what makes one more natural than the other? Is it because right. one landed so one, on a one spot? One clearly or? is more wild in the sense that mm. it wasn't Ooh. selected by humans. Right. Um, so, so what's the difference between wild and natural? <laughs> yeah, well, we, you know, we, we were kind of touching on that earlier. It's like, here you have a wildfire. And here you have a wood stove and it's like the one may be a person is living very, a very natural sort of existence by which, you know, they're going out and felling a tree with an ax and chopping up the wood and keeping themselves warm. And the other is just a, a force of nature, a phenomena. I tend to think for our purposes that we're referring more to the wood stove existence when we're trying to get to the core of natural and then we extrapolated on that because he's acting in relationship to his environment by interacting with it. Mm-hmm. So he's, I would say both are equally natural in some ways. Sure. It depends. And also if that wildfire was started by a lightning strike or was it started by a match? Fire. <laughs> like, I really like that you brought that up that example of a wildfire, because we have the idea because of the pretty regular news coverage in California of wildfires and the destruction. And it makes me wonder, can a wildfire ever be natural after the imposition of the forces or the circumstances that led to it? The whole phenomenon of a wildfire, at least maybe relegated to a particular region, does it lose some sort of essential characteristic by coming later in time after all of these sort of tainted wildfires, tainted yeah. by um, the negative circumstances of the people that caused them. Well, this, I mean, it's interesting because people, humans tend to think of ourselves as somehow separate from nature. Mm. We, we tend to think like, there's the natural world out there and here I am. Um, but in reality, we're also very much the same product of that nature as the natural world itself. Yeah. I mean, we are uh, organic beings that are born, grow, decline and die. You know, we're not machines that, don't, that need upkeep, you know, that have replaceable parts. We yeah. do need upkeep. <laughs> well, we need upkeep, but in a different, you know, quote unquote, organic, holistic, natural, you know. Right. You know, we... Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's an interesting kind of at one point. And that's why I think framing the, the, the definition of the term natural around the idea of the present moment is a helpful thing. What you're talking about, Scott, because yeah, snapshot freeze frame, November or whatever, 2022, things are as they are now in the state that they are as affected by our civilization as such that is anything natural anymore, quote unquote, given that, you know, the definition of or you know. conversely, oh, it's all natural, so it's all yeah. good. And it's like, no, we're not talking about that either. Yeah, We're not trying to say that everything comes from nature, therefore everything goes. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think the, the relationship aspect is... But, is and then nothing is, nothing is unnatural because in the end, 
anything that we do exists within the context of natural systems that will render uh, a consequence. So ultimately, we will fall back within the envelope of nature because our actions will be will have enough of a reaction that will there'll be a recycling eventually. Big. Yeah, yeah. We're you living mean, on debt. You mean civilization? <laughs> the yeah. Civilization is yeah. existing on debt. You mentioned before, yeah. John, the idea of a capitalist society moving into something different, which is debt-based, right? And even if you included that as an analogy or a symbol, I think the natural world accounts for all these disharmonious activities eventually yeah it's all one in musical terms as i understand it it's one big dissonant chord waiting to resolve and and maybe the, that resolution consists of something that's from our perspective extremely cataclysmic <laughs> but ultimately that is a characterization in and of itself because it's as far as the accountability of the system snapping back and all of a sudden ceasing to be able to exist might be the more harmonious action. Yeah. So sometimes, you know, the wildfire <laughs> needs to come to, to give a, a correction to the ecology and to, to kind of, you know, dare I say, reset it. Uh, but, um, so the mind yeah, of nature so has some neutrality about it in a way. And, and also, you know, t uh, when a wildfire takes down a forest, it gives the opportunity there for a new ecosystem to take place, for a meadow to come in, something, and, and those meadows are critically important to feeding uh, animals and, and, uh, and to give opportunities to, say, perennials and wildflowers. Otherwise, everything would be trees everywhere. Uh, we wouldn't have diversity, and that would tremendously harm the ecosystem uh, in many ways. So yeah. there's our apocaloptimism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, we right. could, was that your That's, that's yeah. it. Yeah. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to reach out with any comments or questions, feel free to email us at ourcommonnaturepodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram at our.common.nature. <laughs>